This week on Geek Explained, we ring in the new year with Kingdom Hearts, more specifically, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we Geek Explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and welcome to the very first episode of Geek Explained in 2019. That's right. Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, hope your Christmas and holiday season was well and you got everything you wanted and your New Year's Eve was safe and super fun. Uh, I actually worked New Year's Eve. I uh, got to take a week off to come back to Arizona for uh, Christmas. Was there for a week, came back, jumped right back into work, and I worked uh, New Year's Eve, and it was, oh man, that was a long night. So um, I hope your New Year's Eve was a bit better than mine. But uh, yeah, so we are officially in 2019. We are coming up on one year uh doing this podcast our very first episode was last year uh i want to say like mid-february i'll have to go back and check that out at the exact like upload date and whatever but um yeah uh it's crazy thinking about that we've been doing this for almost a year now and uh i'm just excited and i want to say thank you for sticking with us as we uh learned what it's like to do a podcast. I've never done a podcast before. I have always loved podcasts, always been a big fan of podcasts, and I have kind of just been learning this as I go, so I appreciate you sticking with me, uh, listening to me ramble about things that uh, I enjoy and that I'm a diehard fan about, and I'm looking forward to doing more in 2019. But before we look forward, I want to take one quick second to look back at 2018, and more specifically, our final episode of the year, which was the Into the Spider-Verse review. Uh, possibly my favorite film of 2018, Hot Take. Uh, I loved that film, and I want to thank everyone who tuned in and listened to the episode. The episode, I came back, exploded. Uh it's our most listened to episode ever on this podcast. Um, I'm really proud of the episode itself, and I'm really proud of the fact that we are almost coming up on 2,000 listeners. So I am super excited. Thank you very much for um, kind of ending Geeksplains 2018 with a bang. So again, thank you for listening. If you haven't checked it out, definitely do yourself a favor. Check out that review. I go full in-depth spoiler heavy i 
short version, I love the movie, but for the long version where I kind of go in on how much I liked each character, certain plot points, and kind of what I'm hoping for the uh, franchise that kind of got its start here to go forward, definitely check that episode out. But for now, we are here for the final episode, wink, of our Kingdom Hearts retrospective. We started this back in July. Uh, We've been going game by game, story by story, chronologically from essentially uh, release date all the way up to this most recent one because we are in the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen. We are literally less than a month away from Kingdom Hearts 3 releasing on uh, PS4, Xbox One, wherever you get your games, and I cannot contain my excitement. I am so excited for this game. I am incredibly, incredibly thankful that all of you have stuck with me for this series. Uh, It's been a blast getting to go through all of these games again, starting from the very first Kingdom Hearts game and working my way through each and every game up to this point. But uh, this specific episode is centered around Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. So, uh, classic uh, Kingdom Hearts retrospective format. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the game. We're going to jump into the story. We're going to talk about any remasters. And then stick around for this week's comics countdown as well as a special announcement. Drop that there, a little teaser. So, um, yeah, I have never played this game before uh jumping in for this retrospective was my very first um experience with the game was my very first taste of the game i'd never played this before same as uh our last episode in the series with uh, kingdom hearts coded and i was excited to see where this went um I had friends who played the original release uh when it first came out on the 3ds and They had a lot of things to say about it, to say the least, as did a lot of people. Uh, This game is fairly polarizing from what I can tell. Either a lot of people love it or a lot of people do not like it. So I was excited to jump in and see what I could... uh, what I could see with it. Uh, I did play this game on the Kingdom Hearts 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. All the other subtitles that go with that so I got to play it on a nice big screen on my PS4 and I am excited to share everything I can about this game with you so we will go ahead and jump into the background right now so Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance is an action role-playing game that was initially released on the 3DS and this game was developed by the same team that worked on Birth by Sleep as well as little uh, team-ups with some of Square Enix's uh, First Division, which happened to work on another game completely unrelated to Kingdom Hearts, Final Fantasy, or whatever, called The World Ends With You. And because they had this development team had certain members who did work on that game, they decided, hey, we'll throw them a bone, let's include those characters in this game instead of the normal Final Fantasy crossover. Which I am not familiar with the game, 
Um, I have never played it. I've heard lots of good things about it, and I really enjoyed the interactions with the characters that you have in the game. We'll get to that a little bit later. But yeah, so that is why those characters appear in this game. Um, this was developed specifically for the 3DS, and the handheld console actually inspired Nomura to create the dive mode, which is kind of uh, replaces the gummy mo the uh, gummy ship sections where you're flying through so much asteroids and fighting flying spaceship heartless. Needless to say, I enjoyed uh, this a little bit more. A couple of the uh, dive mode missions got on my nerves a little bit, but you basically, instead of going with this kind of on-rails arcade shooter, you are dropping from the sky, I guess, into the world, and you have to... Um, achieve certain objectives, collecting a certain amount of points, defeating a boss, and then once you do that, you fly through the rings, you land on the world. So the 3DS with its uh, touchscreen functionality, the double screens, um, inspired Nomura to create this mode for it. The title, which confused me uh, when I first read it, actually has a lot of significance, according to Nomura. Um, for me, I thought, I'm going to give you a little... Uh, personal story with that. Uh, there was rumors when this came, when this game was first announced in 2010, where people were like, "Well, you know, we've got all of the tie-ins. We've got coded came out, so we now know that next stop's got to be Kingdom Hearts 3." And Square Enix, because they are geniuses at what they do, uh, were like, "Yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3D." And we're like, wait, what was that? What was, what did you just say? Oh, no, nothing. We said Kingdom Hearts 3. And they continue to just tease it, tease it, tease it all the way up to uh, the announcement where they revealed it, we were finally going to get Kingdom Hearts 3D on the 3DS. That's right. It's not Kingdom Hearts 3. It is, in fact, Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. So... I felt very faked out and betrayed, but it's Kingdom Hearts, so I couldn't stay mad at it for long. So that's my little side anecdote, but uh, the title, Dream Drop Distance, actually uh, pertains to the kind of the elements of the game, according to Nomura. He said that dream part involves the story itself, which we will, of course, get into after this background. Uh, drop kind of uh, relates to the gameplay, including the dive mode, the way that you drop in game, which I will talk about in just a second, and then distance, kind of equated to characters' interaction, because the main characters of this game, Sora and Riku, are worlds away from each other, even though they are on the same worlds. They never really interact throughout the entire story, so there's a certain distance between them. For me, it's a little reaching distance, but I I totally I get it I accept it. Um, now, when I talk about that drop system, they implemented this in this game, and I thought it was an interesting choice. I don't know if it's a choice I would have gone with, but I think it did enough to make it differentiate itself from previous tie-in games, and 
basically what happens is you have two playable characters, Sora and Riku, but instead of the system that Birth by Sleep had, where you play one character story, Aqua, Ven, Terra, all the way through, then you can go back and go through with the next character, they decided, hey, we're going to put a handy-dandy meter on so you can only play through as one character for a certain amount of time. And then once that time expires, you quote-unquote drop, and then you drop into the other character's story, wherever you left off with them. Again, it was a little weird for me. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I can see what they were trying to accomplish with it. But of course, there's an item in the game that completely nullifies that game mechanic. So, you know, what can you do? Uh, Nomura also wanted this game to be more action-oriented with it being on a portable platform. And I think getting feedback from people who played uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, 5, 8, over 2 days um, about the mission format and it being a little cumbersome and a little slow so he took all of that um constructive criticism and applied it to this game and this game is high speed if you want it to be it is just off the rails you can fly all over the place you zoom you zap you bounce off walls it's really cool but this game also with that more action-oriented gameplay provided again, from Nomura's words, a teaser for what Kingdom Hearts 3's gameplay is going to be like. And from trailers that we've seen, we see that they've implemented um, a lot of the stuff that gets implemented in this game. So I think that was definitely kind of a uh, proof of concept for some of the gameplay in this game so that people would get familiar with it know what they're in for so when kingdom hearts 3 comes out it's not suddenly dropping you into the deep end um the game surprisingly also and this was something that i really enjoyed um it primarily focuses on riku's story riku gets more character development in this game than he has gotten in any game previously uh this really deals with his insecurities his experiences with darkness how he's trying to work his way back out of it um and kind of this idea that he's like, well, you know, nothing goes right, but we're going to keep trying anyway, because that's what heroes do. And so I really enjoyed that, but this game also kind of made me question why Sora is the main character of the game. Because after playing through this, for me, I was like, Riku's the main character. So I, I was really... Um, I was really interested in Riku's story before this game, and after playing this game, I just felt so immersed and so um, just really invested in Riku as a character. So this game definitely, if that was the primary focus, this game definitely did that. So as I said a little bit earlier, the game was announced at E3 2010 with the biggest bait and switch of all time. and got various tech demos throughout the rest of that year as well as 2011 and it was finally released on the 3ds on march 29th of 2012 in japan and throughout july in north america europe and australia so this was actually an interesting i thought this was a cool little anecdote but this game was actually the first game in the kingdom hearts series where australia got the game before 
uh, North America, because I think the Australian uh, version of the game came out on the 12th of July, and the North American version didn't come out until July 31st. So just a cool little thing, Aussies won that round. So that is the full background and development of this game. Again, it was kind of a weird bait and switch for me as a gamer to kind of be told like, hey, this is the next chapter in the story and it kind of being, again, just a tie-in. But after playing through this game, and again with uh, certain interviews from Nomura, this game is as important as Kingdom Hearts 1 or Kingdom Hearts 2, or even Birth by Sleep. Those four titles, I think, are the most... These four titles are the most important, I think, in the franchise, um, followed pretty closely by uh, Chain of Memories, and then you get to your others. But I really ended up enjoying this game, and I am excited to share the story with you, which we will jump, or rather dive, into right now. Our story begins right where the last one left off, with the defeats of not only Xehanort's Heartless, but also his nobody, Xemnas. The stage is set for Master Xehanort to return and to prepare for the return of the biggest bad in the series, Yensid has called Sora and Riku to the mysterious tower to take the Mark of Mastery exam to officially earn the title of Keyblade Master. To do this, Yensid has changed up the format of the Mark of Mastery. Once upon a time, all you had to do was fight some weird spheres of light and you could become a Keyblade Master. Just ask Aqua. But this exam is going to be a bit different. You see, though Sora and friends have saved countless worlds from the darkness, some of the worlds that have been rescued are still sleeping. These worlds are just on the brink of being forever lost to darkness, and they are waiting for their keyholes to be unlocked so that they can experience their new birth by sleep. Ah, ah. Ah, I know. So Sora and Riku are tasked with diving into the sleeping worlds and unlocking their keyholes, thereby waking the sleeping worlds from their slumber and rescuing them from darkness. Now, because they're only sleeping and they're not within the dark realm anymore, that would lead you to assume that this will be a fairly easy task, right? Well, not exactly. You see, because these worlds are sleeping, they are being plagued by these things called dream eaters. These are creatures that are born from the hearts of those who are sleeping and therefore inhabit these sleeping worlds. Now, the dream eaters come in two types, either spirits who are friendly and willing to help Sora and Riku on their journeys, and nightmares which serve as the enemies in this particular journey. These are twisted, um, darker versions of the spirits that will attack you on sight and take the place of the Heartless for this particular adventure. So the mission is clear. Dive into the dreams of each of these seven sleeping worlds, recruit spirits, fight nightmares, unlock the keyholes, awaken these worlds from their slumber, and become Keyblade Masters. 
simple, right? However, there is a catch because jumping into these sleeping worlds are jumping into different pockets of time in these worlds. These worlds went to sleep at different points in their own history, and therefore not all of them are tracking at the same time. So Sora and Riku have to enter these worlds at the moment that they began to slumber. Now to do this, they must leave their bodies behind and send their hearts back to a point in time where they could theoretically enter into these sleeping worlds. And that brings us to Destiny Islands, as we see familiar-looking versions of Sora and Riku, those being from the first Kingdom Hearts game. They are they seem to be the same age as they were during the events of that story, but this is how they enter the sleeping worlds. The two create a raft just like the goal was in the first game, and they embark on that raft into the ocean that is the sleeping worlds. However, not long afterwards, they are attacked by a giant Ursula, which they then defeat, but then are lost into the ocean separately. Sora and Riku both wake up in Traverse Town, the same place but far away from each other, having gained new clothes and Riku getting a sweet haircut. And... They soon find out, while searching for each other, that they are not quite on the same path. Sora is encountered by Neku, who is the main character from The World Ends With You, while Riku is encountered by Joshua, who seems to be a godlike angelic figure in, those, in that world. The two pairs begin to embark on a journey throughout Traverse Town trying to find each other as well as solve the Dream Eater problem that seems to be plaguing the town. They do end up fighting the nightmare that resides within the 4th district, but before they can leave, Riku is encountered by a mysterious man in a black coat. This man pulls his hood back to reveal a young Xehanort. That's right, young Xehanort. We're talking like maybe late teens, early 20s. So this young Xehanort says nothing, looks intimidating, summons a nightmare, and then leaves. So we're definitely going to have to deal with him later. Uh, Soren Riku then realize that they are diving into these sleeping worlds on different sides of the same coin, in that they are both encountering these worlds but it takes both of them to wake the sleeping worlds from their slumber unlocking their keyholes sora and riku disembark from traverse town and head off to their next destination meanwhile we get a flashback to radiant garden this is at a time before the first game where we see that Bragg and xehanort that's right Bragg. we're talking pre-Kingdom Hearts 1, post-Birth by Sleep, have begun the process of turning themselves into nobodies and heartless. We get a hint that Xehanort never truly forgot who he was, perhaps insinuating that the amnesia that he suffered was false, and that he may have been planning longer than we previously thought. 
We also see the birth of the organization as we see people like Ienzo and Evan and Alias and Dylan drifting off into darkness where they would presumably become heartless and nobodies. We then see, from the perspective of Xehanort, Terra, Terranort, him summon Master Xehanort's Keyblade and stab it into Brag, thereby unlocking his heart as well as turning him into a nobody. The one that we're all familiar with, Zigbar. Back in the present, our heroes arrive at Notre Dame, where Sora, after helping Quasimodo as well as the rest of the cast of that film, is confronted by young Xehanort within the cathedral. And it's during this conversation that young Xehanort hints at the fact that there was someone trapped on the other side of Sora's heart, hinting at Ventus, as well as the idea that one body cannot sustain two hearts for too long. Meanwhile, on Riku's side of Notre Dame, after battling and defeating Frollo, Riku's confronted by young Xehanort as well as Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness, the heartless of Xehanort that Riku thought he had purged from himself. Ansem claims that Riku will be swallowed up by the darkness if he does not accept it as Xehanort once did before leaving. Elsewhere, Axel wakes up in the same underground lab as we saw in the flashback, surrounded by some of the other apprentices to Xehanort. He looks around, seeing other bodies around him slowly waking up, as we can surmise that these members of the organization, their heartless had been destroyed as well as their nobody, and as was um, kind of touched upon in the previous game encoded in the secret movie once you destroy someone's nobody as well as their heartless it paves the way for them to be reborn and return to their original body axel looks at himself in the mirror notices that his distinct facial markings are missing and realizes that he's whole again meanwhile sora and riku after unlocking the keyhole in notre dame head to the grid, and Sora returns to a changed world. This is not the space paranoids that he was familiar with in a previous adventure. This place is darker. It is ruled with an iron fist by the insidious clue. And it's during this adventure, interacting with Sam Flynn as well as Kevin Flynn and their ISO friend Korra, that Sora is confronted by a returning Xemnas. Xemnas touches upon the fact that Sora has been chosen and that he is going to need to sort out his heart before he can fulfill his purpose to the organization and to Xehanort. Meanwhile, on the other side of the grid, Riku reaffirms his mission as helping Sam and Korra escape the grid reignites his desire to see Sora again and for them to complete this test and become Keyblade Masters together. The two unlock the sleeping world of the grid and head off. Back at Radiant Garden, Axel, Zexion, and Lexaeus I'm gonna try that again. Axel, Zexion, and Lexaeus search around Ansem's old study, though they can't figure out where everyone else has gone. When they woke up, it was only the three of them. They're continuing their search as 
Axel seems to take an interest in the door to darkness that has been sketched on one of the walls of the study. Back with our heroes, Sora and Riku arrive at Prankster's Paradise, where Sora has stumbled upon a carnival. It's here that Sora encounters Jiminy Cricket, his old guide, and the man, well, Cricket, who has been chronicling the adventures ever since their very first one in Kingdom Hearts 1. But this is a Jiminy from the Sleeping World. Sora recounts Yun Sid mentioning that because these Sleeping Worlds are trapped in a time bubble, that certain people who aren't in those worlds anymore are created as essentially data copies to fulfill their roles within the world during that time bubble. It's here that Sora and Jiminy strike up a friendship once again, and they head off in search of Pinocchio. After finding him inside of the Big Top, Xemnas returns and makes an interesting comparison. The fact that they're protecting Pinocchio, who is a puppet with no heart, and that Sora might want to look to him as an example of what he is. Sora remarks that he doesn't know what he's talking about and doesn't really understand why he's being called a puppet. But before he can give it too much thought, he sees that Jimny and Pinocchio are reunited, and then watches as the events unfold, leading to where he met Jiminy and Pinocchio in his first adventure, that being that Monstro swallows both of them up as the world fell to darkness. Riku landing in Prankster's Paradise is a little different as he lands essentially where Sora's story leaves off, arriving inside Monstro and encountering Geppetto and Jiminy on the search for Pinocchio. This is where he realizes that he is reliving a memory that he couldn't possibly have. Heading into Monstro, he is encountered by another young man in a black coat who removes his hood to reveal himself. That's right, this Riku is the Riku from the first game. Or is he? After doing battle with a nightmare, Riku remarks that he couldn't help but feel a similar feeling as to when he met his data replica back in Chain of Memories. The two then unlock the keyhole for Prankster's Paradise and head off to the next world. Meanwhile, Mickey, Donald, Goofy, and Yensid are shocked to discover that Maleficent has kidnapped Minnie and is holding her hostage inside of Disney Castle. With Yensid's blessing, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy head off to Disney Castle as Yensid remarks that this couldn't just be a coincidence. Was this all planned? Back in Traverse Town, Sora and Riku return and work together to defeat a nightmare and finally unlock the keyhole, sending Neku and the rest of his friends back home. At Disney Castle, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy arrive and confront Maleficent and Pete, who are holding Minnie hostage. Maleficent reveals that she was mentored by the young Xehanort on how to remove hearts as well as envelop worlds in darkness. Maleficent and Pete have arrived here because they want the journal data. The data that was compiled from the adventures from the last game, because if you remember, in one of the final scenes of the game, Maleficent remarks that 
the digitized journal and the data within it may be the key to her finding the Book of Prophecies and fulfilling her ultimate goal, which at this point we don't really know. Uh, Minnie is rescued by Axel, who runs off Maleficent and Pete. And as Mickey goes to thank him, he remarks that Axel didn't save Minnie, that his name is Lee. Back with Sora and Riku, they happen upon their next world, which happens to be the Country of the Musketeers. Now, this world is a little bit different from previous worlds in that this directly influences the main characters in our overarching story. This happens to take place within Mickey's past. When Sora encounters Mickey, Donald, and Goofy, who are dressed as musketeers, Mickey reveals to him that they aren't from that world either, and that they are masquerading as musketeers while working on some kind of secret mission. For me, this kind of leads me to believe that he is either already or is in the process of becoming Yen Sid's apprentice and beginning his training to become a Keyblade wielder. Uh, following this, we find that Riku, who has also shown up in this world, is able to directly influence Sora's world somehow. They're supposed to be on two sides of the, of the same coin, not able to interact with each other, but somehow Riku's interference at a critical moment allows Sora to defeat the villain of the world, that being Pete, and rescue a young Princess Minnie. The two then unlock the sleeping world and head off to the next one. Back at Mysterious Tower, Axel, or Lee, is recounting everything that he knows to a shocked Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. Yen Sid then confirms that foul play has been in play and uh, surmises that Xehanort knew that Riku and Sora were about to embark on this exam and has planned for it. Lee is then sent on a secret mission, though we might get a little clue to that a bit later. Meanwhile, back with Sora and Riku, they happen upon one of the final worlds that they are tasked with saving, that being the Symphony of Sorcery. This is another moment in time where Sora and Riku are again interacting with Mickey's past. At this point, Mickey is already Yen Sid's apprentice, probably not quite there yet, but on his way to wielding his first Keyblade. Here, Mickey has been bewitched by something, that being a nightmare, and Sora and Riku are tasked with diving into music to find a sound idea. On their way, Xehanort, the young Xehanort, tempts Sora further into the dreams, saying that they know what's going on and that Sora is acting perfectly according to plan. Riku, who has arrived in this world as well, is able to interact with the bewitched Mickey and is somehow again able to help Sora recover the sound idea and free Mickey from his bewitched state. Following this, young Xehanort confronts Riku on a frickin' volcano 
where he reminds not only Riku, but also the viewer that the Keyblade that Sora wields wasn't originally his. That Keyblade initially came to Riku because, as we all know, Terra performed the passing on ceremony for Riku so that when the darkness swallowed up Destiny Islands, the Keyblade that Sora ended up wielding was originally supposed to be Riku's. Of course, because Riku ended up getting swallowed by the darkness, the Keyblade looked for the next suitable bearer, which happened to be in close proximity, that being Sora. He also... Young Xehanort also says this killer line where he basically says, I'm going to try and make sure I get this exactly. Your mistakes always end up being other people's problems. And that line just oh man what a zinger what a burn and it really speaks to riku's entire arc in the story if riku had not made the mistake of getting swallowed in the darkness sora would have never had to fight the darkness on his own he would have never been the keyblade never would have been thrust upon him and he wouldn't be in the really in the situation that he is today riku reaffirms that even though that is the case and that he has made many mistakes in the past, he is atoning for them and that he is going to continue to press on. Riku also reveals to young Xehanort that he is undeterred, that he is not afraid of the darkness anymore, that he has locked that away. And young Xehanort responds with a really interesting tease, saying that someone who has fought through the darkness and has gained an immunity to it is of no use to Xehanort or his plans, but that they have contingencies in mind. Riku and Sora then together unlock the keyhole for the Symphony of Sorcery and head on. Back at the mysterious tower, Yen Sid is remarking to Mickey, Donald, and Goofy that Merlin and the three fairies are training Lee for something with Yen Sid remarking that he has fire. Now we have to see if he can use it. They also reference that they are training him in a place that's more temporarily flexible. Again, teasing that time is a construct that can be manipulated. Yen Sid then reaffirms his suspicions that Xehanort has been playing the long game, that he has been pushing things into motion for years, possibly decades, to make everything line up exactly how he wanted it. Though he references that to do that, he would have to be looking far, not just in the past, but also in the future to make sure everything lines up. Goofy asks if Xehanort would be able to essentially time travel like Sora and Riku have been doing for their Mark of Mastery, but Yen Sid then basically gives us the rules for time travel in the Kingdom Hearts universe, basically saying that there would have to be, for you to time travel, there would have to be a version of you present at both your source and your destination, and that you could only move to a place back in time if there was a version of you there, and that not even Xehanort would be able to give up his body to travel back. Mickey then reveals that 
Xehanort did give up his body back in Kingdom Hearts 1 when he became a Heartless. Yensid is shocked by this revelation and realizes that Xehanort has been planning this the whole time, that he did travel back in time and that he has been pushing things in motion from before anyone realized. Mickey then requests permission to dive into the Sleeping Worlds after Sora and Riku, knowing that they're no longer safe. Yensid gives him permission to do so, and Mickey heads off, though this revelation has shaken Yensid to his core. Meanwhile, Sora and Riku have arrived at the final Sleeping World, and it's a familiar destination. It's the world that never was. Sora finds himself at Memory Skyscraper and is confronted by Bragg, who has also been restored, though retains his appearance as Zigbar. Bragg reveals the truth to Sora, that he, along with his co-conspirators, have been guiding Sora since the beginning, that they had to jump through a lot of hoops, but that it all worked out to get him there. He reveals that before the test could even begin, before the Mark of Mastery even began, he and his co-conspirators jumped in, hijacked it, and have been guiding Sora ever since. And that's when Sora remembers that before they embarked on their raft at the beginning of this exam, he remembered seeing a robed, hooded figure. The same robed and hooded figure who encountered him back in the cave in Kingdom Hearts 1. And because the moment that Sora and Riku traveled back to into Destiny Islands to enter these sleeping worlds was in fact that same pocket of time where Sora met the robed figure, that robed figure was able to create a doorway for Bragg, Xehanort, Xemnas, and uh, Ansem to go in and hijack Sora's test. I know this is really confusing, but it's basically exactly how they explain it. Um, after this, Bragg reveals 13 cloaked figures and tells Sora that while Sora has been brought to where he's supposed to be, he still has some hoops he has to jump through. Young Xehanort then arrives and puts Sora into another deep sleep. This begins kind of a trippy sequence where we are experiencing the story strictly from Sora's uh, first person point of view. He is then taken on kind of a tour of Xehanort's master plan. Uh, he sees a young Xehanort on Destiny Islands back at the point where he was still just residing on the islands and remarking that the world was too small. This young Xehanort is then encountered by the robed and hooded figure, which our guide Xehanort reveals was the um, Terranort that cast away his body and became Ansem Seeker of Darkness. He cast his body away to travel back to the point that we are viewing right now, setting this young Xehanort on his path to begin his journey to towards today. He then placed himself on the day that Sora would discover the door and the Destiny Islands were swallowed by darkness. Therefore, a version of him would be present so that when Sora and Riku dive into the Sleeping Worlds, Xehanort had the door to capture Sora 
in the first place to kick this whole adventure off. Um, it is incredibly confusing, but needless to say, um, Xehanort has had this all planned out. Uh, Sora then finds himself at Traverse Town, again being guided by this young Xehanort, and Xehanort references that Sora had traveled to Traverse Town many times before, and we get a glimpse of Mickey, who has dived into the dreaming, sleeping worlds, coming after Sora and Riku as we see him running from the first district into the third. We get just a glimpse that he's on his way. Um, Sora then finds himself back in the world that never was, though he has somehow um, regained his appearance from Kingdom Hearts 2, his present-day appearance. After encountering an illusion of Namine, as well as a dark-haired girl that he had never met before, it's Shion. Sora encounters Roxas, who gives him this ominous uh, message that this could have been the other way around. But Roxas also says that it really has to be Sora. There are so many hearts connected to him. He then finally gives Sora his memories, and this is a beautiful moment where Sora, who knew of Roxas and knew of the struggles that he went through but didn't know exactly how Roxas felt, is flooded with Roxas's memories, everything that he experienced, and it is overwhelming to him. And with a new perspective, that being of Roxas's tragedy, Sora presses on further into the dream, and as he does this, recovers a hidden memory that had been stowed away from his heart, that of him and Riku as young boys meeting a certain blue-haired keyblade wielder when they were much younger. Following this, Sora is encountered by Xemnas as well as Brag once again, where they reveal the truth about the nobodies, the fact that nobodies like Roxas, like Namine, like all of the members of the organization, did have hearts, and the idea that they were emotionless and heartless and couldn't feel anything was a lie concocted by Xemnas, and that the organization, though Xemnas fed this idea to all of its members that it was about regaining all of their hearts, was never about trying to regain their hearts. The organization's true goal which essentially was Xemnas's true goal, and therefore Xehanort's true goal, was to turn the 13 members of the organization into 13 vessels for Xehanort's heart. Essentially, 13 Xehanorts. That was the true goal of Organization 13. Um, after revealing this huge just bomb dropping on... Sora and really us as an audience, Sora references that Bragg must have known about this. Why would he go along with this? And it's here that Bragg reveals that he's already half Xehanort, referencing the pointed ears, the fact that his dark hair has streaks of white within it, and his eyes have turned that amber color just like Xehanort's. And that is super freaky when you put it into that like perspective. Uh, Sora is then told that he himself is not important, that he wasn't 
even chosen for the Keyblade, that this isn't his story. The importance of Sora is the connections and those tied to his heart, those being Roxas, Namine, Shion, the three Keyblade wielders from before, Terra, Ventus, Aqua, all of these people who are tied to him makes him important and makes him a perfect candidate to be chosen. Chosen for what? We're about to find out. Sora defeats Xemnas in a one-on-one -on -one duel, and it's here that Xehanort reveals his goal for Sora and the reason that they hijacked Sora's mark of mastery. It is so that Sora can be used as the 13th vessel. The 13th vessel, who was meant always to be a wielder of the Keyblade, was initially going to be Roxas, but after he realized who he was and decided to go rogue, Xehanort shifted his goals onto Sora. And this is where we get the follow-up to Xehanort's remarks to Riku that someone who has fought through the darkness and has gained an immunity to it could never be that 13th vessel. That's why Riku wasn't chosen for this. But Sora, who has always been someone of the light, who has always walked the light path and has never been touched by darkness, does not have that same immunity, and that he can be twisted, he can be formed into the 13th vessel. This is when Xehanort reveals to Sora that the X-sigil on his shirt, which has been present on these new clothes that he has been wearing since the beginning of this story, is a signifier for a 13th vessel. That's why the X's were branded into the names of the nobodies in the organization. Bragg became Zigbar, Dylan became Zaldin, Evan became Vexen, Lee became Axel. All of these people were given this X as a signifier that they are meant to be a vessel for Xehanort's heart. And that Xehanort has been planning this from the beginning, and his destined path as this young version of the, of Xehanort is to return to his time once Sora has been uh, turned into a vessel for Xehanort and continue on. This Xehanort is the earliest Xehanort in the timeline, and that once this whole deal is sealed, that once Sora has been turned into the 13th Xehanort, this young Xehanort will return back to his time, forgetting everything that's happened here, and begin his path all the way to this moment. It's here that Sora falls into a second deep sleep after almost being woken from his first one by a voice not sounding unlike Riku's, and he falls into the darkness in his heart. Within Sora's heart, we see his body drifting into darkness before a familiar light envelops him, covering him in a familiar armor, that armor being of Ventus, because Ventus's heart still resides within Sora's body. Ventus's armor then encloses on Sora, protecting him from the darkness and from him being swallowed up by this darkness. We're going to switch gears here and check in with Riku, who has also arrived in the world that never was. 
After fighting his way through the world, Riku finds Sora in his deep sleep and is confronted by what is called the Black Coat, the Anti-Black Coat Nightmare, which is a hellish, heartless version of what seems to be Sora's heart encased in this darkness. Riku defeats it and then is almost successful in waking Sora from his dream before he is confronted by young Xehanort. It's here that young Xehanort reveals that Riku has not been on his own mark of mastery either. That the moment that the organization swept Sora from his mark of mastery when they were attacked on their raft on Destiny Islands, Riku dove into Sora's heart and into his slumber and has, for this entire adventure, been Sora's very own dream eater. Riku has been serving as a spirit to help guide Sora. That's why he was able to influence Sora's adventures and his versions of the worlds where Sora was not able to directly interact with Riku's. However, Xehanort remarks that Riku is too late, that they have claimed Sora, and that there's nothing he can do. Riku promises to save Sora and is confronted by Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, who, after a lengthy duel, Riku defeats. He is then returned back to the world that never was, and with help from some of the friendly spirit dream eaters, finds Sora in the castle above the dark city below. Everything comes to a head in the throne room of the organization, the all-white room with the uh, white thrones that are at varying levels throughout the circular room. Um, Riku arrives and finds that 11 of the Xehanorts are already seated in their thrones, with the 12th Master Xehanort about to return at the top, the highest throne. Riku then finds Sora's unconscious body sitting in the 13th throne. Riku tries to save Sora, but is stopped by young Xehanort. And just as young Xehanort is about to strike a killing blow on Riku, a blinding light envelops the room and everything stops. Riku is then encountered by Mickey, who tells them that they don't have much time, that the freezing of time is only going to work momentarily, and that they need to get Sora and get out of there. Unfortunately, they don't have enough time at all, as young Xehanort snaps out of the temporal displacement and is able to take Riku to a different plane. It's here that Riku and young Xehanort have one final duel. And I'm going to gush about this fight for a second. Just as a side note, I, we're going to take a quick just beat away from the dramatic storytelling just to talk about this fight because this fight is incredible. It is a fantastic fight where you realize that the um, the enemy of the, the secret boss in Birth by Sleep, this just lightsaber dagger wielding character has been young Xehanort this whole time time traveling on his way up to the uh, story of dream drop distance taking a little bit of a pit stop in birth by sleep to fight Terra aqua and ven this fight is fantastic and it really showcases just how terrible and powerful that Xehanort is even at this young age 
The two fight, they battle, and just as you think you've defeated him, you strike the final blow, you deplete his health bar, and just as you sit back with a sigh of relief, as I did, you hear young Xehanort say, Stop. He then jumps back up, there's a blinding flash of light, and all of a sudden, you're back at the beginning of the fight. Xehanort time-traveled to the beginning of the boss fight to fight you again, and then you have to fight through it again, and then break his time spell to be able to finally defeat him. I personally did not realize that that was going on, that you had to break his time spell to truly defeat him, and I ended up fighting young Xehanort, no lie, seven times before I broke his spell and finally hit that killing blow. Just the moment that he would restart the fight, the very first moment, was such a was such a cool moment to me. It was fantastic. It blew my mind. And I haven't had a mind-blowing moment like that with a Kingdom Hearts game for a very long time. It was incredible. I loved it. I loved this fight. Um, but yeah, enough gushing for me. We're going to go head back right into the story. Um, following Riku defeating young Xehanort, we find that it's too late because Master Xehanort has officially returned with the defeat of Xemnas and Ansem, who themselves are time traveling because they were plucked out of the time stream before their demise. Master Xehanort is fully restored, and we realize that Xehanort has planned everything that has come before up to this very moment. Up to this very moment where he would crown Sora as his 13th Xehanort, his 13th vessel, his 13th darkness. Now what do I mean by 13 darknesses, you ask? Well, Xehanort explains that originally light covered the world and Kingdom Hearts was the source of all that light. And Paired with Kingdom Hearts was something called the Keyblade, or the X-Blade, those who are familiar with Birth by Sleep, or listen to our Birth by Sleep episode because it's really good and you should check it out, know that the X-Blade is the key to unlocking Kingdom Hearts. The X-Blade, because of the Keyblade War, was shattered into 20 pieces, 13 of Darkness and 7 of Light and that only the meeting of a pure darkness and a pure light would bring about the Keyblade, or the X-Blade, back into existence, and therefore provide the key to unlocking Kingdom Hearts. But because the X-Blade was shattered into 13 darknesses and 7 lights, Xehanort knew that the only way to produce a true X-Blade would be to recreate those conditions he references birth by sleep by saying that he got hasty in his old age and tried to create the x-blade with just one pure light and one pure darkness but that the x-blade was incomplete and it wasn't able to be fully formed so he went back went by the book and is now 13 strong 
his whole goal this entire time was to create these 13 Xehanorts, these 13 pure darknesses, to do battle with seven pure lights and therefore bring about the Exblade and bring about Kingdom Hearts. That has been his true goal this entire time. And that with Sora, now as his 13th darkness, his 13th vessel, he is taking one step closer to taking Kingdom Hearts for his own. Thankfully, Sora is rescued by a returning Lee who comes in just the nick of time, but as he does, he is attacked by one of the seated Xehanort vessels, which reveals himself to be Saix, or in this case, the restored Aiza, Lee's best friend from their childhood. Ac Saix Aiza has been recruited as one of the vessels of Xehanort, which makes sense because he has the pointed ears and amber eyes that match Bragg and Xehanort. The two do battle as Donald and Goofy also arrive via the Star Shard, and they are able to put up just enough of a fight to run down the clock. Time is up. And the 13 Xehanorts disperse back to whence and where they came. Though, Master Xehanort reveals that this is just a minor setback. That they will meet at the appropriate place, that being assumed to be the Keyblade Graveyard. And reveals that his 13 Darknesses will still fight Mickey, Sora, and their 7 Pure Lights that his darknesses will fight their lights, and that the X-Blade, as well as Kingdom Hearts, will be brought about once again. After rescuing Sora, the entire group returns back to the mysterious tower, though Sora is still deep asleep. Yen Sid reveals that his ulterior motive for sending Sora and Riku into these sleeping worlds was so that upon completing their Mark of Mastery, they would also unlock the ability to raise hearts from a deep slumber that no other keyblade master has that ability and that this test this exam was meant to give that power to both sora and riku this is also hinted at as the goal to awaken a sleeping ventus deep in the chamber of waking Riku, knowing that Sora still needs help, that he is asleep and that he won't be able to fight this darkness on his own, dives back into Sora's dreams and into Sora's slumber to save his friend. We then come upon a familiar setting, Sora's own dive to heart, a glass platform that is adorned with a sleeping Sora, where Riku encounters Ventus's armor containing Sora within it. However, the darkness has encroached into the armor, and Ventus's armor has now become the Ventus Nightmare. The two do battle, and Riku is able to defeat this nightmare, shattering Ventus's armor and rescuing Sora. However, Sora falls back into darkness as his heart is still asleep. And as the darkness settles and Sora's glass platform is revealed back into the light, Riku finds that there is one thing left to do to save Sora, and that is to unlock Sora's heart and raise him from his slumber. And just 
at that moment, he is given the tool to do so, which is Sora's Keyblade. This is kind of a goosebumps moment for me, because this is Riku, and this is Riku at his height. Riku picking up the Keyblade that was meant to be his, and using it to unlock Sora's heart. A blinding flash of light envelops Riku, and as it settles, Riku finds himself back on Destiny Islands. He is then encountered by three different people, each asking him a question. He first encounters Roxas, who asks him what he's so afraid of. Riku responds with losing something that's important. He then encounters Ventus, who asks him what is the one thing he cares about the most. To which Riku responds, his close friends. Riku then encounters one more person, a dark-haired girl who he vaguely remembers, sitting on the same spot where Sora sat back when they were kids and wondered about what the outside world could bring. The girl then asks him, what do you wish? And Riku says, I wish to recover something that I lost. With another flash of light, Riku finds himself back on the beach and is encountered by a familiar face, Ansem the Wise. Ansem the Wise reveals that this is just a digital copy of himself that he inserted into Sora's heart and into his memories back when Namine was rebuilding his heart post-Chain of Memories before Kingdom Hearts 2. Ansem reveals that Sora's true power is not just being the linchpin for all of the people who are connected to him, but his true power resides within his own heart. Remember, he's the only person in that universe who was able to return to his human form after he was turned into a Heartless without destroying his nobody. Not even Xehanort could do that. So Ansem surmises that Sora's true power might just be to return the hearts and the bodies of the people who may have been assumed lost forever, that his love for the people that he is tied to and connected to may be able to bring anyone and everyone back. And that maybe, just maybe, the fact that he is uncorrupted, the fact that his heart hasn't touched darkness, isn't a liability, isn't a weakness, but a strength. And the idea that he may have the power to fix so many lives that were broken and destroyed by the darkness, and that when he sees a connection and sees that it seems broken, he may have the power to reconnect it. Ansem then reveals to Riku that Sora is safe and that Riku's efforts were not in vain, that he is awake and safe back in their own world. Riku then begins to head back out into the real world when Ansem somehow remembering all the interactions they had when Riku was both himself as well as in the form of Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness, says to him, Young man, I don't believe you ever told me your name. Riku smiles, and in a moment that has been building for an hour in our world over ten years, he says, My name's Riku. 
Riku then awakes back in the mysterious tower and finds that Sora is awake and well, and Sora is so excited to see that his friend is home safe. The two of them then stand before Yen Sid, who tells them that the exam kind of went off the rails and that he apologizes for putting them in that kind of danger. He also says, though, that one of them did earn the power to awake sleeping hearts, which was the goal of this Mark of Mastery exam in the first place. And that person, and therefore the person who has been named a true Keyblade Master, is Riku. Riku is officially a Keyblade Master, and Sora could not be happier for his friend. Following this, Lee reveals himself as a new Keyblade wielder as well, conjuring up his own Keyblade, but saying that he's still a long way away from being a master, and that he needs to train to be of any help in the oncoming threat. And now, with a renewed purpose and knowing that Master Xehanort is expecting them, our heroes get ready to go on their final adventure. But first, Sora needs to make a pit stop and, and tells everyone that he will be back soon. We then get a shot of the sleeping Traverse Town, where Sora reunites with all of his spirit dream eater friends for one last time. Elsewhere, in the Chamber of Waking, a sleeping Ventus smiles. Following the credits, we see that everything is as it was. The pieces are as they lay. Young Xehanort, with no memory of anything that's happened before, remarks as he stands on the beach of Destiny Islands that this world is just too small. In the realm of darkness, Aqua has encountered Ansem, and she is filled with hope at the thought that Sora and Riku may be able to come save her from the realm of darkness. We find back at the mysterious tower that Lee has been sent back to wherever he has been training to continue his training, and that he will be needed to fight the darkness. Riku has also been sent away on a mission, though we see that sitting out front, Donald and Goofy are encountered by Riku, along with the person he was told to bring with him. Mickey and Yen Sid remark on how they are now down a couple Guardians of Light, seeing as how they will need seven pure lights at full strength to combat Xehanort's 13 darknesses. It's then that Riku arrives, telling Yen Sid that he brought the person he was sent for, but Yen Sid never told him why. This person then steps into the room as Yen Sid remarks, I understand you know how to wield a keyblade, and I think it's time that you join us in the fight. As the camera pans over and we see that Kyrie is ready to take center stage. And that's the story of Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Whew, uh, a lot happened. <laughs> I think for um, my complaints about nothing really being important or nothing really happening in Kingdom Hearts Coded, uh, this game was really set up to be the antithesis of that. So much happened, so many reveals, really the focusing of what Xehanort's true plan was is a doozy. And 
Um, I'm sorry if I lost you at any point, but I tried to make it as concise and as understandable as I could. But this story, all in all, was wonderful. I really enjoyed the character development, especially for Riku, who really got to take center stage and really got to enter the fray as a bona fide main character. And by the end, has completed his years-long um, character arc, redeeming himself and becoming a true Keyblade Master. It was just super cool to see, um, because this guy's been through it all. He's been through the lowest of lows and is now at the highest of highs. And going into Kingdom Hearts 3, he is going to be a major player on the board. But we will go ahead and jump into the... Uh, remaster the as part of the 2.8 final chapter prologue again you know one of those fun ridiculous names uh this game was included on that collection as an hd remaster though nomura has said it's essentially a full remake of the entire game since uh it went from the two screen touch functionality of the 3ds into a single screen with the playstation 4 um and it was released on uh da, 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 da. it was released on january 12th 2017 in japan and released 12 days later on january 24th 2017 and everywhere else in the world uh this 2.8 collection also featured a cinematic called back cover as well as the 0.2 fragmentary passage continuation kind of like an epilogue from uh, Birth by Sleep. Speaking of which, I know what you're wondering. Hey, 2.8 has stuff. What about Union Cross? What about Fragmentary Passage? What about Back Cover? What's going on? You haven't covered any of this stuff. Well, I want to let you know that I hear you. And that is why January 2019 is officially Kingdom Hearts Month for Geek Explained. That's right. I gave you a little subtle wink at the beginning of this podcast telling you that this was the final episode when it is not. Um, we still have stuff to cover. This game, this series is building steam all the way up to the release of Kingdom Hearts 3 on uh, January 29th. And I am just too excited to try and cram the rest of what we need to cover before the game comes out into just this episode. So this entire month is going to be filled with Kingdom Hearts episodes. Every week of Geek Explained is going to be coming at you with a new Kingdom Hearts episode. Uh, the schedule will be as follows. Today, the second, you're getting the Dream Drop Distance episode. Next week on the 9th, we're going to be covering Union Cross as well as Kingdom Hearts Key, Kingdom Hearts Unchained Key, and the back cover cinematic. The following week on the 16th, we're going to be covering Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep 0.2 Fragmentary Passage. And on the 23rd, right before the release of Kingdom Hearts 3, we will be covering a very special episode, our top Kingdom Hearts moments, which will be featuring a 
guest appearance by a very good friend of mine, that being Damien Garcia, who kicked off this whole series by requesting the uh, Kingdom Hearts series in the first place way back in early last year. And then on the 30th, the day after Kingdom Hearts 3 releases, we'll be releasing a special secret episode, which I can't tell you about just yet. So look forward to an entire month of Kingdom Hearts. January is going to be chock full of Kingdom Hearts goodness, and I cannot wait to share the rest of these stories with you on our march to Kingdom Hearts 3. This entire series has been a blast. I am so excited to wrap it all up with you folks. Thank you for sticking with me since July on this series and sticking with Geek Explained all throughout 2018. 2019 is going to be even bigger. So again, Kingdom Hearts Month, super excited. Kingdom Hearts 3 releases on the 29th. We will see you right back here next week for the next episode in our Kingdom Hearts retrospective. And stay tuned after the jump for this week's Comics Countdown. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown, which is brought to you by the letter K. As in Kingdom Hearts, as in Keyblade, as in just kidding on this episode being the last in the Kingdom Hearts retrospective. I am really excited about this. Um, but that's for the main stuff. This is this week's Comics Countdown, which if you don't know if this is your first podcast, first of all, welcome. Glad to have you. But second of all, this is where I count down the top five, maybe six, maybe seven, maybe eight comics that I am picking up on this week's new comic book day which of course is wednesday which is when these episodes drop always every week never a delay never late never missing a week and that is just the reality of things so um we've got five comics that are chock full of comic goodness that i think you should be picking up and we are going to be starting off with Action Comics number 1006, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with art by Ryan Sook. This is continuing the Red Cloud storyline, where um, last issue, the Red Cloud was revealed as the newest um, employee at the Daily Planet. Uh, this is been kind of billed as Superman versus like uh, like a corrupt politician and his mob. So um, we'll jump right into the synopsis. The Red Cloud sets her sights on someone close to Superman, but how can the Man of Steel stop a villain he can't touch? As the Invisible Mafia controlling Metropolis's underworld steps more into the light, its leader finally stands revealed with a secret that will have massive implications for Superman and Clark Kent. So yeah, um, Ryan Sook, great artist, again, felt a little bait and switch because I was expecting the Gleason art to stick around for a little bit longer than just a few issues, but I am still really enjoying Action Comics, and I am looking forward to this issue. Next up, we have Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary, number five. Uh, this has been really good. Again, I say it every time, but uh, this is kind of the flashpoint for uh, Marvel Comics, so I really have been enjoying it, and with um, the last issue introducing this world's version of Black Panther, Everything is just 
firing on all cylinders for this book. Uh, it's written by Donnie Cates with uh, art by Nico Henriken, Jeff Shaw, and uh, Teenie Howard. So we will go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The knights have gathered at the tower. The evil king and his pawn have toppled, and the army of the Forgotten has been vanquished. But there is yet a dragon to be faced before the truth can be revealed. So this is, like, heavy stuff. Um, I'm kind of personally hoping that them saying a dragon to be faced uh, lends its hand toward either Fin Fang Foom or this world's version of Iron Fist. So we will see what happens. But this book has been great from start to finish, and there's only one more issue after this. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 995, written by Peter J. Tomasi and art by Doug, Doug Monkey. Uh, I loved their first issue. Doug Monkey and Tomo Peter J. Tomasi work so well together, and I am super excited to see where this goes. Uh, so we will jump right into the synopsis. Alfred Pennyworth attacked at Wayne Manor. Who's hunting those closest to Batman? The monstrous shadow creature plaguing Gotham City gains the upper hand when two of the Dark Knight's most ardent allies fall prey to the violent vendetta. Will those tragedies send Batman over the edge? Good thing he's on his way to Arkham Asylum, but will he investigate a murder or get incarcerated in a padded cell? So yeah, I am looking forward to this. We got, we got a lot of clues as to who is behind what's going on last issue it could be the joker it could be bane so i'm excited to see where this goes another book that i'm excited to see where it goes is winter soldier number two written by kyle higgins with art by rod reese i loved the first issue of winter soldier i am so excited for this to keep going kyle higgins wrote one of my favorite if not my favorite nightwing runs of all time and rod reese has been killing it on the art as he always does so we will go ahead and jump right in to the synopsis as bucky works to help others find the redemption that he found hydra takes issue with his new initiative and sends a young killer to rectify the situation introducing rj teenage assassin extraordinaire who's been sent to kill the man he's been modeled after the winter soldier so I really liked the debut of this character. We didn't get a name for him in the first issue, which I guess we now know is RJ, but he is in this like assassin Bucky costume, and I think it is tremendous. And if this ends up going the way I think it's going to go, I am super, if I wasn't already um, completely keyed in to this series, I'm in even more so now. <laughs> but... This brings us to the final book of the week, which is Heroes in Crisis number four. Uh, you know if you have been listening to this podcast that I have kind of a love-hate relationship with Heroes in Crisis so far. Um, there's a lot of great things, I think, about it, including and especially the art, but the story has been a little frustrating at times. But um, last issue was super strong and really provided a focus on Wally West, which is the character that I think... I and a lot of people are most invested in in this story, and the cover is really 
Um, it's really sad and it's really kind of unsettling in that regard. So um, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis right here. Wonder Woman versus Booster Gold? Diana finds out the hard way that Booster can be a formidable opponent when his back's against the wall. Of course, being the prime suspect in a superhero massacre and exposing a secret trauma hospital for metahumans will do just that. Meanwhile, Batman and the Flash combine their detective skills to investigate what went awry at Sanctuary, and uncover a serious glitch in the system, not to mention an explosive, spoilerific secret. So, um, this book promises to kind of be the turning point for the series with that kind of synopsis. And hopefully we're going to get more answers because the last few issues have left us with more questions than answers. So I'm excited to hopefully get some lead on where the story's going. But that is it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Detective Comics number 995, Action Comics number 1006, um, Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary number 5, Winter Soldier number 2, and Heroes in Crisis number 4. So as I stated before, I want to say thank you all to everyone who jumped on board with us in 2018, and thank you to everyone who has been just super supportive and giving both praise and uh, constructive criticism to make this better. I'm learning to do this as you're listening, so um, any kind of input is super helpful. Um, that being said, I would love to get some reviews. Uh, we are growing all the time. Uh, we are featured now on not just SoundCloud, but also TuneIn Radio. We're on Stitcher Radio. We're on Google Play. And we are also on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. So if you um, have been enjoying what you've been listening to, again, we are almost up to 2,000 listeners, which is just crazy to think about um and you have enjoyed any bit of this i would really appreciate you dropping a review on any of the places that you find this podcast um it helps me out a lot to find out what you guys are liking what you guys um could see improvements on it also helps other people find the podcast so that they can enjoy the same things that you're enjoying so if you would not mind dropping a dropping a comment giving us a review on any of the platforms um, i know for the algorithms especially on uh, itunes apple podcasts reviews are a must to get any kind of uh, traction there so that would be great to get some uh apple itunes reviews that would be awesome and if you do end up dropping a review there i might just read it so um again feel free to do that it only helps me so i would appreciate it but that is going to wrap it up for me here um i've got a busy week planned and a busy month planned now that you know all about uh kingdom hearts month i will see you right back here next week for the next episode as we churn along i am so excited the end of this month cannot come fast enough but for geek Explain, this is eric azana thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time
Spirit.